0: Sometimes the scripture, sometimes in the scripture it's so descriptive when you just concentrate on what's spoken. It is easy to read the Bible and miss everything that God really intended. For that reason, I I invite you to revisit with me this week, that incredible story. What happened was so profound until Jesus himself prophesied about its meaning and its longevity. He said, wherever the gospels preached, she will be mentioned. I think, however, it's possible to find ourselves when we look at the story a little deeper, which I want to do today for a few moments with you, as you consider that passage in Luke chapter 7, if you find it on your phones, I used to say turn your pages of the, your Bible. If you, as you find it on your iPads and, and on your electronic instrument, find that passage of a woman that really represents all of us, both women and men. And the story unfolds, and if you were here with me on stage last week, and I didn't have an opportunity to ask, would you please come? I need my posse with me this morning. The distinguished gentlemen of the Old Testament who were learned and who were Instructed. We have two or three types of people in this circle today, and I'd like to broaden the circle for you so you can understand the dynamics of this story and what it means for you. It's one of the few stories that Jesus tells that's in all four Gospels. It had a cadre of, of men in the story and women for it seems, Kenny, if you, I hope you got my notes, sir. Forgive me if you didn't get them. Praise God. You got them. It says in verse 36 of Luke 7, will you read that for me? What does it say, saints? One of the Pharisees was what? To dine with him, and he entered the. Now that's really curious right there. Jesus goes into the house of the kinds of folks that can't stand him. The Pharisees are at odds with Jesus unless that Pharisee had been touched by the power of God by his ministry. He was opposed to Jesus. Jesus was drawing the people away from the religious leaders. And so in this group, as they assembled in this house, uh, very interesting, before they take their positions, let me open this up to you. Would you look, Kenny, would you go down to Matthew 26 and 6? Very interesting passage of scripture. In Matthew 26 and 6, Actually, it goes all the way through 13, but check out verse 6. What does it say, saints? Now when Jesus was where? At whose home? Simon the leper. What? Sometimes you would think, is this the same instance? Oh, yeah, you'll see. It's the same instance. In fact, when he says one of the Pharisees, referring to interesting, this leper, even religious people get sick. But the appearance is that Jesus has touched his life and he's at his house. So when he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, are you all breathing, saints? A woman came to him with an alabaster box. We'll come back to that in a minute. Check out, broaden your scope just a little bit and look at Mark 14, verses 3 through 11. You know, if you read the Bible, I promise you, you'll be so excited. For it says, are you there in Mark? Read it for me, saints. At the home of who? What was he doing? Yeah, would you do that, gentlemen? Would you treat like there's a table? We would call it in our in our culture, a Lazy Susan, which was a table that was on a rotisserie and you could turn, you could feel the table of all things, but you could turn the table. Instead of passing it, they would just simply turn the table. And they were all reclined around that table. And the truth of the matter is your feet are on the table, so you have to put your feet back the other way. Yes, amen. All right. (laughs) If this is... The way it was. You might want to come over here a little bit. I'll move over. They they the Bible says they were reclined. Did they say reclined? What does it mean to recline? They were like they had these pallets, they lay on these pallets. I want you to applaud these men, they have no pallets under them to, 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 um, to gird them this morning. But they lay, and they would lay on pallets and they would eat and talk and cut up and, and talk the things that men talk. This was the way of fellowshipping in the East. And look at John chapter, 20, chapter 12. Look at John chapter 12. This is really interesting. In John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11, Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where who? Lazarus was. Who was Lazarus? The one who was raised. Do you, you think Lazarus would have a story? Before and after? Oh, my God. If you read a little further, you'll see that there's such indignation against him that the Pharisees want to kill him. They're ready to kill Jesus. And if you read down at the end of the passage, they were gonna kill Lazarus too. Because Lazarus was the proof that he was the, Jesus was the real deal. Because nobody raises anybody from the dead. You, the plot gets thicker. Guess who Lazarus' relatives are? Mary and Martha. Y'all remember them? Mm. Now I didn't I didn't solicit them today, but I need uh, I need uh, a couple of of ladies that will be my for today. My Mary and my Martha. Can I? I promise you, I won't have you reclining. But can I get a Mary and a Martha? Lord have mercy, give them a hand for here they come. Now Martha appears to be a bit more um, disciplined and studious and service oriented. She was the one fixing the meal Martha was. Where my Martha? She was the one taking care of getting the preparation for Jesus. She was a server. But Mary, by the way, guess who Jesus' mother was named? Yeah. And usually they named they usually named a, a person according to their nature. And Mary actually it means strong soul. Uh, and some some even writers call it rebellious one. Uh, I mean, you could take that interpretation if you wish. But she was a strong soul, Mary. She was not a pushover. Here's another Mary who's in Jesus' life. But did you know what Mary did before she met Jesus? If you go back to Luke, it said verse. 37 737 and there was a woman in the city who was a the Bible uses a broad term so it gets all of us it uses the word sinner the word uh, means to miss the mark it could be um, applied to many things that are opposite of the law or the righteousness of God Actually, if you look a little closer, the Bible, usually that word by your Bible might have a one there. If you tap on it, the word will come up, an immoral woman. So Mary was a strong soul probably, but we know she was from the street. All the women said, mm. All the brothers said, "Mm mm-hmm. This circle gets more interesting the more I read. People that are close to Jesus, because you know the Lord came in your house and raised your relative from the dead. Oh my God. But what's curious about this, you don't get that until later on, but isn't it amazing that while Martha no doubt was serving them, there was something else I discovered about who came to be with Jesus. For one one of the passages said, when he was there in that house with his disciples. Oh my God. So his disciples were there too. Usually the Bible gives us a record of 12 of them. And so we don't just pile out the stage tonight it was not a, a, a tiny group. There were several Pharisees, people who knew Jesus. He was so popular, even though he was becoming infamous because of the religious people. He was in this house for this somewhat private meeting. And, and the Bible says, one of the Pharisees said, you know, I, I want to I, I talk. I want to be. I want to know what you're about. Simon is his name. And he was one, at least we know, who had leprosy. Leprosy would be like um, uh, AIDS. Uh, it was a flesh-eating disease. So if you had it, unless it was hidden under your clothes, everybody knew. And if it was advanced enough, there'd be splotches on your skin and they would know that you had this, 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 uh, this disease. Much like persons in the last stage of AIDS, it's hard to hide it. Are you there, saints? and Jesus and Jesus is there in their midst and they're there because of him and as the Lord is, is reclined with them talking to them about the things Jesus always talks about there's a curious incident that happens while the men are gathered now when men are gathered now even in our culture in, 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 in many cultures when men get together and talk women make themselves scarce am I right? am I talking to the right people? Well, let's reverse that. When women get around in a circle and they start cackling and talking like they do, like I caught, I caught a group of my leaders in the hall in between service, and they had a, I don't know what was going on. I know they had a little vial, a glass, excuse me, a Vaseline. They had this little jar of Vaseline, and they was talking about, I don't know what that Vaseline was about, but whatsoever it was, it was mighty private and they were just giggling and sniggling, like, and I said, mm. And I kind of stuck my head, and they just looked at me, mm, mm-hmm, and, and they went on down the hall. When women gather together, men make themselves scarce. There are some meetings in culture that there's an unspoken sign. No men allowed. And But conversely, when men get together and talk, men talk. Thank God. Brothers, where are you, brother? Am I alone? Are y'all with me today? Okay. When men talk, men talk. We don't really talk. Men talk like men can talk real talk until women are gone. When I was growing up with my mom and my dad, I would always witness that because men would always come into my dad's house and they'd bring their wives and the wives would gravitate to the kitchen where my mama was and the men would gather in the living room where my daddy was and he would have these 33 records. You remember records that were 33 speed? Do y'all remember they're about this big? And you know, you put that on that disc on, you put that little new, and uh, they would listen to preachers. And all the women would gravitate away and all the men would be in a circle. And they would dock this and dock that. Doc, did you hear what he said? Oh, doc, that was rich. You could hear this language going on. They'd talk and talk. And you know the story because as they're talking, this incredible group of people made up of disciples and Pharisees, Jesus is there. And all of a sudden the Bible says, in walks this woman. She, she, she all but crashes the party. She doesn't ask for permission. I told you last week, I don't even know how she got in there. Maybe she'd been there before, but she gets in the meeting and she walks straight to Jesus who's laid out talking to them. Jesus is not paying attention to her because he don't even know that she is there. And she comes, the Bible says she comes in and and she kneels down and, and she begins, Lord have mercy, she's full of tears and she begins to cry her tears on his feet. When I've never felt cold tears. They come from inside the body. They usually originate in the heart. And when tears fall, they're usually hot. And they're falling on his feet. By the way, shoes are removed because in the east, you wouldn't dare bring your dirty shoes and sandals, walking on the dusty, musty streets of Jerusalem with every and any kind of thing out there. You would never dishonor a house by traipsing up in a house with your shoes on. You always, as tradition, take your shoes off at the door. And usually at the door, there's somebody with a basin and a towel, usually one of the servants. And as tradition, there would be a place to kneel or stoop and that person would wash the guest feet. It was a courtesy. It protected the house and it honored the guest. She walked straight in and, and not only is she crying, she's weeping, she's washing, her, taking her hair, which had to be long enough. (laughs) And she's wiping his feet. Have mercy. Excuse me, but I, I think it needs to be said today that all personal touch and all tender touch is not necessarily sensual. I, 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 I heard it while I was looking at this again this week, that we have developed such an incredibly perverse culture that we can't even touch anymore without moving into an area of sexuality. God help us. There's nothing sexual about what she's doing to the eye that understands. But to the eye that does not understand who's not gotten their self under control. Oh, it's, it's so they started mumbling among themselves, all of them looking at this woman, shocked that she would even be there. They talking to each other like, Doc, ain't that the one you was with last week? I'm so, sorry, maybe, that might not, that may not be the kind of conversation. And, 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 and the Bible says, if you look at the accounts of this story, the Bible says they, out loud started resisting, criticizing this woman. Not only that, they criticized Jesus. They said something like this. If he knew, he said he's a prophet, he 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 declares that he's a prophet of God. Really? If he knew who was touching him, very interesting language. If he knew who was touching him, mmm. Are you all there? And these guys are looking. They don't know whether they have disgust or they have lust. They don't know which one. Are you there? And the Lord, is, the Lord is not scathed by her actions. Almost you get this feeling when you read the story that the Lord has got this attitude like, I wonder what they're going to do. I wonder what they're going to I can't wait to see their response to this woman. Because he sees her differently. He sees through what she's about to do. He knows what it means. The Bible says, put the verse up again in in Luke. It was a box of alabaster. It was an alabaster box. Alabaster, very expensive pottery, or glass, very colorful, very beautiful, usually a family heirloom, something you keep for life, usually handed down. As a prostitute, however, it would not be unusual to have such a, such a, a container with pure nard, N-A-R-D. The Bible talks about spikenard or nard which they made very expensive perfume we're not talking about the, the 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 cologne that you spray that's that's less we're talking about the perfume which is the real oil which which can cost hundreds of dollars an ounce the bible even re- re- refers to how much it was and there was a there was a it was a minimal Estimation. She has this expensive perfume, and what you don't get in Luke's story, you get in another story. The Bible says what, what she did, look at Matthew 26 and 6. The Bible says the woman came to him with an alabaster vial, a very costly perfume, that's verse 7, and she poured it on his head. She anoints him. She's anointing the anointed one. And the whole room will be full of the fragrance of her act of worship. (laughs) And it was not unusual for a prostitute dealing with the, the nature of her business to always have perfume to make things fresh again. Are you hearing me, saints? She anoints his head. She anoints his feet. And Jesus just simply receives it. Wow. Verse 8, but who the disciples, they were, what were they? What were they? Come on, say it again. They were what? Excuse me, somebody please define what indignant means. Huh? What does it mean to be indignant? Somebody give me a a thesaurus synonym. Huh? What does that mean? Outraged? Come on, give me another one. Upset? Absolutely. Appalled? Absolutely. Say it again? I couldn't hear it. Disgusted. Annoyed. That goes along with it too. They were. Can I get some annoyed folks? Like what, can I, what, what, what? Come on, man! You're gonna you're gonna take that. Hey, one of them said, "Hey, you could take that at least get three hundred plus denarii and, and give it to the poor," like they were really concerned about the poor. Jesus responded back to him he said this is, this, the Lord He's amazing he said he said leave her alone what she's doing is she's anointing me for my burial what's really amazing is he said the poor you will always have with you one one, one of the gospels says Says to them, he says, he says, you can always minister to the poor, but you can't minister to me this way because you're not going to have me with you always like this. See, he shuts their mouths. He shuts their mouths. <laughs> and she's, yeah. Yeah, amen. This they're sitting there talking about zip it, zip it. <laughs> well, beloved, I, I wonder if you could get a little, a little deeper meaning of what's going on here. Jesus, listening to their conversations, he says, Simon, because Simon av- has something to say about this, and by the way, the Bible says that Simon was a leper. Are you all there, saints? In Luke chapter seven, verse 40, Jesus says to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it teacher, speak. Jesus said, let me tell you a story. Check this out right quick. Let me tell you a story, Simon. Now the woman is right there at his feet. Everybody else is listening. Simon questions. Simon I need something to say to you I think it's interesting that the Lord said it to Simon not anybody else because see if you have been a product of the hand of God isn't it amazing how God can walk into your life and touch your life and change your life and the minute somebody opposite of you comes you forget what he did for you it's so easy to do that I think this story is a story for the church who've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And the minute God brings into our midst those who live the life like we used to live, we revert back to the criticizers, the complainers and the judges. So Jesus said, Simon, I got a story to tell you. Check this story out. Here's what he says. He says, a a money lender, anybody ever had to go to the bank. To get some money to buy something, has anyone in this building ever borrowed money? If you have, would you please raise your hand? If you ever borrowed money from the bank, you got a house. If you got a house, you have had to borrow money to get it. Someone said Do you own your house. No, you don't. The bank owns it until you get the title deed. Am I right about that? Okay. So he, the, he, the, these, a moneylender had two debtors. One owed five hundred denarii. The other, that's more than a, a year's, almost two years' wages. The other owed 50 denarii. And when they were unable to pay, the money lender, when it says he, the money lender graciously forgave them. Now you need to understand this, that in financial terms, the word forgiveness is a financial term. What it means is I'm taking it off your record. I'm going to treat you like it, you never owed it. How many of you have ever had a debt retired before you paid it out? Has anybody had a debt that somebody stepped up and paid in full? Anybody here? Let me see your hand. There's a few of you. Wow. What does it feel like? They got this commercial right, right now on television about student loans. Have you seen that commercial? As of today, I'm debt free. Check it out. Jesus says, Jesus said, he forgave, graciously forgave both of them. So, which of them will love him more? Ask your neighbor, which one will love him the the money lender more, which one of them will love him more? Simon said, I suppose the one who he forgave the more. And he said to them, You have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? Jesus pointing to that. Way. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, here's what Jesus says her sins are forgiven. Everything you ever did, every filthy thing you ever did is forgiven. Every immoral, indecent act is forgiven. Every lie is forgiven. Every degrading of your own body and yourself is forgiven. Every disobedience to your parents when she told you not to go is forgiven. Every dishonoring of your daddy is forgiven. Every person who you finagled and got them killed, it's forgiven. Every, every time you abuse your own body, is forgiven. Even though your body belongs to me, it's forgiven. Every distortion, every violence, every act of selfishness is forgiven. <laughs> oh, they were quiet. I wonder what was going on in her mind. You mean to tell me I'm clean? You mean to tell me there's no residue left from the life I used to live? If I went down the street right now, they'd know me as that hoe. But you mean to tell me, Lord, as far as you're concerned, nothing is wrong. Nothing, everything about me is acceptable in your sight. Dear Jesus, I wonder how they felt sitting there. It's my conjecture. It's not necessarily the fact, but what if they had been with her or any of them and Jesus didn't forgive them, but he forgave her. Are you still breathing with me, saints? Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven And those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who does he think he is? He can forgive sins. Are you there, saints? And he said to the woman, baby, your faith has made you whole. It really is a slap in the face of all kinds of religion, particularly those of us who feel like It is the acts that we do of good things that make up for the bad things. It wasn't that her pouring the oil and the anointing him. It wasn't that act per se. What it was was the heart because how would she even have a presence of mind to make her way into that forbidden situation, into the midst of a group of people who have the right to stone her actually because if you go by the law, you would stone a prostitute. It was a faith in her heart. She was demonstrating something that was already there. Jesus just pronounced over her when it already occurred. And and, and it strikes us, doesn't it? Because it makes us ask ourselves the question, are your sins forgiven? Has the Lord made the pronouncement over your life? You start wondering when you look at this story, you start wondering about this incredible demonstration of her faith and her love. For so many of us, it's a problem. Her her act of worship is a problem for most people. Unfortunately, her act of worship is a problem for the church. And the Lord Jesus is saying something to his church in this hour, across this nation, in this city, and in this house. He's saying something to us about the purity of our worship. He's saying something to us about how much we believe whether or not we truly have been forgiven and transformed. He wants to remind us that for what is coming, what we're gonna have to face, you're gonna need to know what she knew. It's a very powerful thing to consider the fact that this woman brings to Jesus her past guilt and her hope for the future. It represents both her professional identity and her financial security. She brings it all to him. Plain and simple, it was her most precious possession. It's ironic, isn't it, that the perfume used in her profession as a prostitute would become the token of her profession of faith. She emptied up, she poured it all out to the last drop, Breaking that bottle was her way of burning her ships. Ain't no way else home. He got to help me or I'm done. His words prohibited them from taking any action against her because her, act, her pure act of worship exposes their attitudes. As it is today in church, when people really worship God, those that don't get it and are disconnected look real strange and feel real funny. Mm. No more masking the stench of sin with the sweet scent of, of, of perfume. No more risque huh, rendezvous wander, rendezvous in the, in, the, in the wee hours of the night. No more clandestine encounters at discreet places. She walked out of the dark, out of the shadows, right into the light. She's unafraid, she's unashamed, she's wide open. There comes a moment when every single one of us needs to come clean. There comes a moment when we need to unveil the secret sins and the secret shame of our life. The One thing Jesus does, he knows how to handle that shame. He knows how to handle that sin. Why do we act as though our sinful nature disqualifies us from the grace of God? People who who don't come to him with sin don't understand him, and the gospel is not yet of any effect to them. Because when the gospel starts affecting your life, you realize that if I have sin, I know exactly what to do. If I've got sin, I don't run from him. If I've got sin, I run to him. It's a whole different attitude, isn't it? I don't cover up. I am wide open. Mm. It's like turning all your cards on the table face up. A half-hearted confession of sin always results in a half-hearted love for Christ. Downplaying our sin is downplaying grace, which is powerful enough to take care of your mess. It dishonors the sacrifice of the sinless one, Jesus. Yeah, in the church we have a problem because we don't deal with sin very well in the church. We've relegated sin to a mistake. We've relegated sin to a accident. Y'all are not talking to me. Sin has become, oh, I missed it. Sin in his church has become such a problem that it has, for the time being, disqualified us from facing our enemies. You can't face an enemy and you got the same thing in you that your enemy is. Sin puts us in a position of great need for renovation, for cleansing, and for remodeling. It is sin that, that tempts us to act like God's power is not enough to change me. It's really interesting that the Bible uses and chooses, that the word of God chooses to highlight this woman and her profession because her profession touches every bit of society from high to low, from east to west from north to south. Her sin goes all the way to Washington, D.C. Y'all ain't talking to me. Her sin goes all up in the White House. Hello. And yet the grace of God, is clear. For there has to be a sacrifice great enough, powerful enough to transform her nature into something beautiful, into something acceptable, to transform her lifestyle into something that God gets excited about. To access that grace. It does take humility. For God said, I give grace to the humble, but to the proud, He resists the proud. I'm almost there. Somebody said, Thank God. Go on. Finish up because I, it's Lord have mercy. Give me, can I get two more minutes? you a sign that Jesus is renovating your life can I give you just four quick signs what it looks like when you're under renovation and you know things are changing you can write them down they'll be, on, they'll be on the on the app they'll, my notes will be on the on the app check it out number one you are and these signs are according to our hero here heroin this morning not as in drug but as a woman hero okay Check it out, check it out. You are no longer controlled by the opinions of other people. It's a sign that you you know God is doing something in your life. She bodaciously, courageously walks through the door and walks to the one she wants and needs when God is dealing with your life, you will no longer, you will no longer, you'll no longer control about what other people think about you. They know who she is. They knew her by her dress. They knew her by her walk. They knew her by her makeup. They knew, hello. They might've knew her, knew her. In spite of that, and you know, isn't it amazing it's amazing to me, check this out. The greatest fear in the world is of the opinions of others. And the moment you are unafraid of the crowd, you are no longer a sheep, you become a lion. A great roar arises in your heart, a roar of freedom. Somebody give him praise if you know he sets you free. That don't sound like a roar to me. That sounds like a hand clap. I'm going to give you another, I'm going to give you another, I'm going to give you another chance in a minute. When you are controlled by the opinions of other people, you become like a puppet because nobody around you can see in you what God sees in you. So if you listen to what other people think, you will never become what he says. Some of you today have walked by, you've walked by incredible opportunities because somebody told you that wasn't for you or you don't fit or you don't measure up. Most people, most men and women of God are still wrestling with who they are and what God has already said about you. This woman She busts through it. Number one, no longer be controlled by the opinion of other people. Number two, we know renovation is going on in your life when you no longer are ashamed of your past sin. See, if you have shame in your life, that means it's not been cleansed. You could be forgiven, but are you cleansed? If you're not cleansed, you don't want, you know, you just, you still, you know, you still. I was in a conversation the other day and I was noticing the lady that we were talking to constantly, constantly she's doing this. While I'm not talking about being lewd, it's something about when you are no longer ashamed of what you've got. You're no longer ashamed of what is. And what the Lord desires for you, what he desired for her, what he desires for you, is to no longer be ashamed of your sin. No longer ashamed of your past. Tap tap your neighbor and say, your past is your past. Tell them, don't let your past last. There's another word I wanna use about that but I can't use it in public right now from the stage. Number three, you no longer, you no longer let anyone or anything keep you from Jesus. You no longer let anyone or anything keep you from him. You you, you don't listen to those church people. You no longer listen to people who, who defame or minimize the relationship that you have and can have with Jesus and what that does to your life. You keep listening to other people and bringing up the stuff from your past. You you, you keep trying to be safe and cover up. I promise you, you'll be miserable. What would it be like, saints, if you, you were uncovered in the presence of Jesus, but because of the grace that was in his presence, that uncovering took away your shame. So you can talk about what it used to be because you know it no longer is. And what used to be now is your, 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 the test you had is now your testimony. The thing that you 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 hated and you loathed, you've already come through, already overcome, and you're no longer ashamed and now you can talk about it. Is it possible that there are folks out there that don't know him because you're too ashamed to talk about where you can't. tapped him in the shoulder real lightly, said, don't only be forgiven, be cleansed. Jesus said, you are clean by the word I've spoken unto you. Got to go home, yes sir. Number, number, number five, number four, you no longer care what others think about your extravagant worship. This goes for men and women. I can you can tell when Jesus says I got a hold of somebody's life. Because you know, when 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 we're in worship, they like all in more. They like yes, you know. Now I, I don't know what church you grew up in, but in the church where we grew up in, it was sophisticated to sit in the pew and say, praise God, hallelujah. But every now and then we would have somebody go, ah! and we knew, uh-oh. And the ushers would all gather together, rush to that row, get over to that person, pick them up as they were sprawled out, put them over their head and take them out of the service. I I, I remember my mama, Lord have mercy. My mother was a trained pianist. She was trained as a concert pianist. And she was the church pianist. And one Sunday, she was playing, you know, she's playing that song, all those songs we sing. You know, we're walking, marching, marching up to the, it's so beautiful, that beautiful city. We're marching, yeah. Mm -hmm, Marching up. is so beautiful. Mm, that wonderful. Y'all didn't know this song. That glorious. That mm, that. Oh, my mother hit the piano key. Bang! I looked over there. Oh, she was stretched out. It would always scare everybody in the church because it was one of them relatively quiet churches. But when the Lord got a hold of my life, he did so, forgive me, in the midst of a Pentecostal church. And I, I thought I did. I was going to leave. I was going to leave because I was standing there and somebody broke out from a and started running. <laughs> running and screaming. Running. Somebody was standing in one place. I don't know how that move was. It was something like this. I was okay I I got through that until they start dancing I, I was like oh Jesus I don't know I don't know but it is something that when people when the Spirit of God is is touching people's lives they don't care what you think It's amazing to me that this woman didn't care. No matter how expensive it was, she didn't care. She didn't mind demonstrating before everybody else the extravagance of her worship. And no, you don't have to jump or scream or holler, but there's something wrong with you when you can't worship God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. Maybe you need renovation. Maybe Jesus has to do something special for you. Maybe it's because you might, your heart can't rejoice because you're burdened with sin. Maybe you can't demonstrate extravagantly because there's too much fear in your heart. You have not yet experienced the Bible, which says perfect love. Come on, cast out fear. When you repent. And repent means, I get it, Jesus. It's nobody else's fault. It's my responsibility. It's my fault. And when you come offering and taking responsibility for your sin, for the negativity in your life, how you respond to negative actions. You don't know her story. She sang the song. You don't know what she went through. You don't know what it cost her. You don't know if her mother sold her into prostitution when she was 12 years old. You don't know. But whatever your circumstances are, Jesus comes right there where you are and he's looking for something precious from you her box, her oil, her extravagant worship was the truth of her life saying, Lord, you know me. You know me. No secrets, Jesus. No more shame. The fact that he would allow her to touch him is acceptance in itself. And then defend her You know, like that other woman, they were about to stone. Remember that? Some theologians would like to believe that it was the same woman. That Jesus stoops down and writes in the dirt. It wouldn't make sense, wouldn't it? But if that was the same woman they were about to stone, that that same woman would find her way to where Jesus was to tell you, to tell you, to tell you I'm all in, Jesus. I thank you. I can never thank you enough. I can never praise you enough for what you did for me that day. When you stooped down and wrote in the dirt, let the let those of you who are without sin cast the first stone. And they all one by one turned and walked away by herself. Jesus doesn't take advantage of her. He says, woman, where are your accusers? From the day he asked her, where are your accusers? She looked up, looked around. She said, I have none, Lord. Then he said, then go. In other words, my word is more powerful than anyone that can accuse you. When I tell you, go and sin no more. Your your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. It's done. You can quit acting like, hmm. You can quit running from your opportunities. You can quit being ashamed of me. In fact, you can embrace me and my, my, my cause, my purpose, my direction for your life. I did this part two today to tell you that there's nothing evil that you have done. There's nothing so evil that you have ever done, participated in, or gave sanction to. There's none of that that is more powerful than the grace that is available to wash you and to cleanse you and to make you whole. You can afford it. The truth is, you can't not afford it. To Take advantage of the grace of God. Will you bow your heads right there where you sit? See, if I was one of them Pharisees, I would be talking to Jesus. I'd be pulling him over the side. Uh, Jesus, can we talk? The Lord probably said, yeah, I know you were with her last week. But because you're because you're open, because you're honest, because you want to be free, I'll set you free. I make this appeal again this week because I believe those of you who have never bought all into the gospel, the good news is, the good news is not what you've done. The good news is what's been done for you. And for those of you that said yes to the Lord and found yourself caught in sin, in the web of it, and you need a renovation, it's good news for you too he's the way Jesus says it. If we confess our sin, if we walk in the light as he's in the light, if we walk in the light, that's the truth, as he is in the light, what it does, we have fellowship with one another. And then this is powerful. And the blood of Jesus Christ, it's in the continual verse, verb, it continually cleanses me from all sin. Cleanses means I don't have to anymore. we confess our sins he's faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness with your heads bowed maybe you'd like to join the fraternity of the forgiven woman maybe you'd like to join the fraternity of that woman who, who really leads the way and actually actually she is the prime example of the gospel and what happens when a person comes totally and completely honest and clean with Jesus. Mary is constantly Mary is is, you you know you always hear about Mary who's the first one at the tomb? Mary. Who's the first one to tell the disciples I'm looking for him he ain't there He's, he's arisen he's alive Mary. Mercy. Okay, so what do you think we should do, brothers, sisters? What do you think we do? We think we think maybe we should give them an opportunity to to break out of the the break free from the fear zone, from the shame zone. Maybe they have an opportunity to say, Bishop, I can't believe it. You you did this again. You talk, second week, Lord, but you're talking about me, and I need forgiveness. What do I do? They might be asking, what do I do to get forgiven? He said, simple. Confess. Forsake. Is that Forsake means to turn away from. It's the action of repentance. Quit giving God excuses for why you want to do what you want to do. Come out from the shadows, Lord Jesus. Come into the light so God can use you in Jesus name All the saints said amen Okay so as you rise to your feet if your feet want to keep walking up here let them let them take it Come on in Jesus name It's okay